Daniel chapter number one. This is a message I have preached and I've preached it a couple of different places. And I thought if there's a, one of the messages I would preach each year as often as I can, it would be this. Now, there are other places that will give us the same concept that we're going to look at tonight. Uh, in Acts chapter 14 and 15 and 16, and we get into that Jerusalem council, much of the same things are dealt with there as we're looking at here. So it's not limited, but I want to use this because of a familiarity of this passage to get across something I think that we need to be reminded of and that we need to be helped with. And there are many that you may know, they could be friends, they could be family, maybe there's a battle within your own life regarding this matter of conservatism within church, the independent, fundamental, the Baptist group, and, and just how conservative are we supposed to be, and, and how much do we maintain of conservatism, and in light of a changing society all around us, not just the society, but then our evangelical world, world which is extremely broader than what we are. We see their allowances of certain things and, and you find every year the Southern Baptist Church Convention uh, seems to be much like the, the, uh, the Pope and the Catholic Church where they decide how we're going to come down on this issue or this issue and just things seem to be up for grabs so often and it's always seemingly mirroring the climate in which we live. Well, God has an opinion about all of those things. And it really doesn't matter whether we can get around a lot of people who agree with this uh, as to whether or not we should do it. What really matters is what God says about these matters. And then it helps us to get around the people who also agree with God and believe God that will help us in our journey. Daniel chapter 1, and let's go ahead and stand together and we'll begin our reading in verse number 1. In the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Asphenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. 
But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me in danger. My head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this manner, and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Back over to verse 8, the familiar verse that we know and have often heard quoted. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. I want to preach tonight on this thought. It's more than just a diet. It's more than just a diet. He refused to take of the portion of the king's meat nor drink of the wine. We find that he said, prove me. Let us prove our God. Give us a week and a half and see if God doesn't vindicate himself. But it was more than just a diet. Thank you. Please be seated. Certain parts of this are very familiar to us and bring us up to speed. And this event in the life of Daniel teaches us how God worked in the lives of some very young men who dared to trust God and leave the consequences with him. One of the distinctives of Canaan is that of developing Daniels. God has always been in the process of looking for Daniel, looking for young men, young ladies, older men like a, a Caleb and, and uh, an older woman like that of Elizabeth, uh, the cousin of, of uh, uh, Mary, and, and willing to use anybody that would let God develop them. And it's important that we embrace our responsibility of developing Daniels. That's one of the reasons for school. That's one of the reasons for discipleship. That's one of the reasons for the emphasis upon not cutting corners when it comes to the music or some other area because it's not a free-for-all. It's part of a process to allow God to develop us. 
And that's what the Great Commission is all about in the first place. Christ commanded disciples to go out and to multiply to make more disciples. And in so doing, it's important that we understand how God develops people at any time. And we see here in the life of Daniel things that may seem like incidentals. You know, I, I really want to get down the Bible. I want to get down the preaching. I want to get down these particular, uh, the important lessons. But God used a diet. He used something that was seemingly insignificant. And to everyone else, they looked at it and they saw, man, we got to get a hold of that diet. Now, Daniel could have made a lot of money in those days had he had social media and, and infomercials to be able to talk about in just 10 days. 10 days you'll see a difference. But for Daniel, it was far more than just about a diet. Let me tell you about the time he was in when he was just a boy. He was uprooted from everything that he was familiar with. His homeland in Judah, his family, his friends, his home, his school, his church. Uh, no, he didn't have a church. Everything that he would have been familiar with, he was uprooted from. He was deported to a heathen nation. And he was subjected to the authority and the influence of a wicked king, a heathen king. Yet despite the fact that Daniel could do nothing about his environment or his circumstances, Daniel did find that he could control, he did have liberty to control his thoughts, his words, his actions, his motives, and his heart. And that he did. Against overwhelming odds, Daniel was firm in his beliefs and in his, in his commitment to the Lord. And he gained respect of many of the heathen and many in the authority, uh, authority aspect above him. See, the truth is Daniel knew who he was, but he also knew whose he was. Now the Bible tells us that this was a time of Jehoiakim. Who was Jehoiakim? Just so you can understand a little bit about what's happening. Jehoiakim was the son of Josiah. Josiah was a godly king, saw an awakening under his leadership. But here's Jehoiakim. Somehow he heard about what his dad went through, but he neglected what his dad went through. And stories of revival he had to have heard, but Jehoiakim made his own choices. And as you've heard many times from this pulpit, you make your choice and your choice will then in turn make you. So a dark time, Daniel 1 and verse 1 tells us, it was a dark time. Under Jehoiakim, there's a departure from God that occurs. But then Nebuchadnezzar comes in. Now Nebuchadnezzar was the, the most wicked man. Nebuchadnezzar was the name to be feared. If Nebuchadnezzar wanted you dead without any court, without any jury, you're dead. And he had that influence and people feared his name. One of the greatest and most powerful of all the Babylonian kings. And he comes down to Jerusalem. He besieges it and Jehoiakim and he carries them off into captivity along with people. Now you're always given a choice as to whether you will obey God. And obedience has blessed consequences always, but so does rebellion it has devastating consequences. Proverbs 13, 13, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. And you see that in these two kings, 
Jehoiakim, and then Nebuchadnezzar. But in verse number two of Daniel one, you find that there's a desecration that occurs. You find that even things that were once used to serve God is being given to their own gods. So it's dark. It's just a dark time. We don't have to stay long on that, but there's messages in that itself. But here's what we do know, according to verse number three, as I read that, I see that God has a plan. No matter how dark it is, God has a plan. In fact, you'll never see an awakening in history where it didn't come at the same time of darkness. If it's bright and light, you're not going to see much of an awakening. But times get dark and God always has enough light. And God's always looking to bring about an awakening. God always has a plan. Proverbs 18, verse 30, As for God, His way is perfect. Psalm 145, verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. See, when everything around us is falling apart, we can stop and still take a good look at God. And if you would do so, you'd find as David did in Psalm chapter 23 and verse 1, and you can still say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do I need to change messages? Is this one not going over so well? God always has a plan, and God's plan always involves people. God's about to use here in this passage some young men. These men were told they have beauty, they have brains, and they have behavior. We could say it this way, they were prepared mentally, they were prepared physically and spiritually. They were exercised in body and mind and in spirit, but they still needed more than just those physicalities, those, those outward processes of equipping. What they were also experiencing was the hand of God over all of that and under all of that, God was preparing them. See, God's plan always has a process. In fact, the world's process was given to us there. They were going to take them three years and work them to prepare them to stand before the king. And if man has his plan and process, what about our God? God had a process in bringing about this entire world and universe. God had as a process in which he brought about the, the birth and the, then the death and the burial and resurrection of Christ. God has a process of this church age, not to mention the, the dispensations prior to that. God has had a process in which he'll bring all of this to an end. Someone said, what in the world is, what, what in the world are we coming to? The truth is we're coming to an end. And God has a process in all of this. But God's process, in spite of the change and the captivity, the relocation, the desecration, His process primarily involves man's heart. Verse number 8, but Daniel purposed in his Let's try it again. He purposed in his Heart. See, God had a plan for Daniel, and Daniel has the determination to fulfill that plan. He didn't know all about it at the beginning. God didn't lay it out for him and say, Daniel, here's what I'm going to do. If you'll stick with me, you'll see, hey, this is a great thing because you're going to be richly rewarded. Daniel didn't have to know all that. All he had to know was God is God and he's not. 
and he purposed in his heart. There's always a decision of the heart. No one is saved apart from the decision-making faculties of one's heart, the inner man. Romans 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 4, 23, Protect your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it are the issues of life. Ezra 7 and verse number 10. Daniel, uh, excuse me, Ezra uh, prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. See, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for our young people. God has a plan for our families. God has a plan for this church. And we get to live our lives in this 21st century for a reason, and the reason is to cooperate with God's grand and glorious plan. In Daniel 1 and verse 5, he was influenced, uh, we find the influence of the world upon Daniel. The king changed Daniel's name, but when you are purposing in your heart, you'll find it doesn't have to change your character. It doesn't have to change who you are. You might be living in a, in a secular job in society and the influence may be horrendous. And they might do some things, impose some things upon you. Our early church, the book of Acts, and going down through the first centuries of the early church, our uh, uh, heroes of the faith, many of them were persecuted. They were stoned to death. They were drowned. They were burned at the stake. But no one could change their character. No one could change the inside of them. They, like Daniel, they purposed in their hearts. See, Daniel purposed in his heart. Because Daniel purposed in his heart, Psalm 118, verse number 9 and 10, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princesses. We need to be young men. We need to be families. We need to be a church who will purpose in our hearts. We need young men who will say as Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Rise up, O saints of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of kings. That's why it's important to get all in. That's why Jesus starts off again. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He's saying that if God is God, get all in. It does not matter what's coming my way. That's up to God. Just get all in. And Daniel purposed in his heart, but then what did he do in verse number eight? He requested. And this shows that Daniel was not a bitter, angry man. He requested. No hatred, no revenge, no anger. How's your spirit? Jesus was full of grace and truth. You can purpose in your heart and still have a good attitude. See, God's process includes establishing some rules. Daniel requested, king's meat, king's wine. That's what was being imposed upon Daniel. He couldn't get away from it. It was placed upon him. Everywhere you go, you're going to have influence. King's meat, king's wine. You're going to have the influences of the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Is it that big a deal to eat the king's food? To Daniel it was. Why did Daniel say no? 
Why did Daniel say, I, I, I'm not going to do this? Others did. Well, one issue was a matter of ceremonial law. Another was an issue of wisdom. Why did Daniel refuse to eat the king's meat? doesn't seem to be too difficult for me to understand this, so I hope you get it. You see, the Israelites had been commanded to observe certain dietary laws that God did not require of the Gentiles. You read Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14, you'll find it to be true. And without question, the king's table was furnished with many foods that Jewish law deemed unclean. Now, where's Daniel? Is he in Jerusalem? No. So he could have done what everyone else was doing. No one would have thought anything about it. Besides, what good are you if you're dead? But to Daniel, this was bigger than Daniel. This was about his God. And so he said, if it was unclean in Jerusalem, it's unclean here. I mean, when I was doing an internship in Florida years ago, I think I've told this, one of the activities involved, when I got there, this youth group, youth group it was a large youth group, and there's about 100 in the youth group. One of the activities was that they were going to the beach, going swimming. And when I asked, I said, is this guys going? And they said, no, it's guys and girls. And I said, I, I, I can't do that. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand how any Christian can do that, really. But, but I, don't, I can't do that. And the youth pastor said, don't worry, Brother Billy, don't, wor don't worry about it. I used to have that same standard until I came to Florida. Well, I want to tell you, Daniel had the same standard when he went from Jerusalem to Babylon and wherever else he was because my God changes not. I'm just saying if you want to have the favor with God and you want to be a man and a woman that God uses, you may want to listen to Daniel. That's why Daniel and his companions would not eat them because they remember the dietary law. God said this was unclean for us. Let's, well, what, 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 what's going to happen if he kills us? Well, that's, that, that's, we trust God, leave the consequences with him. But what about the matter with the wine? The nation of Israel did not have a prohibition amendment in its constitution. Moral and religious and civil laws were given by the Lord in the covenant he made with the nation. The religious laws, moral laws, and civil laws, they simply they tell how the nation were to operate. And in none of those laws was there any prohibition against drinking wine. So why would Daniel say no to drinking? There, there, was, there was no place that they could find in their constitution or in their religious laws, moral laws, or their civil laws. Where Daniel got his conviction from about the king's wine came not from civil laws, but from his study of the Proverbs of Solomon. From the book of Proverbs, Daniel got the idea that those who know and follow the perfect will of God will not drink intoxicating liquors. Proverbs 20 and verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And to be wise is to know and follow the perfect will of God. So Daniel, he's a teenage young man. He has a desire to be wise. And because of his desire in the light of the teaching of Proverbs, 
He wasn't going to drink the king's wine. Remember, the time is dark. But God has a plan. And God's plan allows no shortcuts. And God's process always involves the heart and it always includes rules. 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 It's a dirty word in a lot of churches. But let me say tonight and Save even repeating it so many times and we'll continue to do so if the Lord will help. Rules are not the problem. In the Bible, good people risk their lives for seemingly small points of divine principle. Daniel had a conviction. Without making a rule or a prohibition, Daniel's conviction about his God is worthless. In other words, just having a desire, oh, I want to serve God, oh, I want to please God, oh, I want God to use me, but not developing rules, convictions, standards, it makes that desire worthless. See, a conviction is simply an application. It's making a Bible application. Daniel said, I don't really care what King Nebuchadnezzar says. I will follow. I will be in the place that I ought to be. It's not like Daniel could leave. Daniel's going to be respectful. He requested. His, His attitude was right. But ultimately, he wanted to please God. And in order to please God, he says, I I am convinced that God has a plan for my life. Daniel went through some horrendous things that I have not mentioned. Things that, that altered Daniel's life physically and emotionally the remaining days of his life. But he had such a desire to please God and such a desire to be used of God that he developed these rules and these standards and these convictions that would help him. A conviction is simply a Bible application. See, usually people who argue against setting standards are actually only opposed to a particular rule or certain rules rather than the idea of having rules, because everybody has rules. The first century spiritual leaders of the church, they didn't fear being dogmatic. You find that early church council in Jerusalem, they came out of their setting rules and standards in Acts 15, basically three rules they came up with, one of which didn't have any, there was no Bible passage that they could point to to come up with that rule. But Acts 16 says they went about and that they pronounce these decrees. The Greek word for decree is dogma. They went out with dogmatism about these rules. And the Bible says in Acts 16 that the church multiplied and flourished. You see, rules are not our problems. Rules are simply the application of a Bible principle. For years, for many years, strong Bible-believing churches, they practiced bands in various matters. Social dancing. Now I'm using these terms because these are terms that were used 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago and were preached against. Young people today say, what is social dancing? 
Well, it's dancing socially. And so social dancing was preached against, and there were bans on this. Movie theater attendance, drinking alcohol, long hair on men, playing cards, rock and worldly music, immodest dress on ladies. For years, the church addressed these things because God's people had a God that was not the God of this world, but the God of all gods that was their God. And so therefore, there's a responsibility to him. And if God's going to use us in this dark day, God always has a plan. It always involves a process, always involves people, and it always involves rules. But then a kind of Christian relativism crept in that not only says these things are not that bad, but they're actually okay. And then people started, I'm talking about Christians, started to ridicule these standards. Legalism became known as standard setting. Churches and Bible colleges began to abandon old standards and preachers no longer preached against certain standards anymore. You know what they said was the reason? Times are changing. Well, perhaps, but things didn't get any better and have not gotten any better. Actually, today, the standards of 30 years ago seem to be more defensible than they are today. John R. Rice, in 1938, wrote a pamphlet, What is Wrong with the Movies? I've said before, I didn't know they had TVs in 1938. <laughs> Movies, however, today are more immoral and anti-Christian today than when preachers two decades ago condemned them. When they were preaching against the dance, they were talking about things that you would watch on It's a Wonderful Life. And now no one preaches against it, but dances are more pagan today than they've ever been. No one's going to put on TikTok the dances from It's a Wonderful Life or any other Fred Astaire movie. That's not the kind of dances. But no one preaches against the things that are more pagan and anti-God today than ever. A disgruntled parent says, where does the Bible say that the boy's hair should not touch his ears? Where does the Bible say that my daughter, she can't wear a skirt unless it's below her knees? But where does the Bible say that your young person has to be home by 10 p.m.? Yet parents don't have any compunctions about being dogmatic about setting a curfew for their child. See, God gave parents authority to interpret biblical principles and to form rules for your own children. And the Bible also gives spiritual leaders the authority to establish rules and standards that would be a help for the institution that Christ died for, Acts 20, that Christ is the head of, and that body is his called the church. Now, simply for Daniel to have a desire to serve his God and serve his king as a desire by itself in isolation has absolutely no meaning. Same is true with biblical principles. For example, we have speed limits. Why do we have them? What's the principle behind speed limits? Safety and protection. So why don't we take down the stoplights and the speed limit signs and just remind them and, and replace them with reminders that simply say, be safe. 
Because the principle alone is never enough. You cannot apply the principle of safety without some kind of rule or standard. Someone must take responsibility and say what the standard ought to be. That's called leadership. Now, traffic standards are arbitrary. 65. Why not 66? 67. They're arbitrary. But so are many of our standards today. Someone says, well, men's hair. You can't prove from the Bible that a man's hair should be off of his ears. True. But I can prove to you from the Bible that a man shouldn't have long hair. So we have to set a standard that we believe to be safe. Well, you can't prove that the dress should come to her knee. That's true. But I can prove that she is to be scripturally modest, obligated to the Bible to be modest. So we have to set a standard that we believe to be safe. By the way, when it comes to dress, you find this gender. Has anyone noticed the gender confusion that is taking place? The dress, ultimately, the lady's dress has been an issue of modesty, 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 modesty. But they've left out something for years. It's not been ultimately about modesty. It may have been preached that way, but ultimately it's been about distinction. Why did God, and by the way, God is the one who established the first dress. In the garden, after sin. And ultimately, it's a matter of distinction. So we now have gender confusion issues. You've seen the one White House official that has a trouble getting other people's luggage from the airport. When he wants to make his statement known that he identifies as a woman, how does he do it? Puts on a dress. Yet for years, churches have been arguing, it doesn't really matter what I wear. But to those who want to change their gender, they say it is a big deal as to how I dress. See, distinction is important because God came up with it. The point is we draw a line somewhere. Why not draw a line then that allows for our diet to reflect the divine? Why does it have to reflect your your appetite? What you identify as. Uh, This I identify as, yeah, you identify as an idiot. So put that one on your social media page. I parked in a parking garage in Atlanta and it said small compact vehicles. I was in the pickup truck identified as a small compact vehicle. And you said, well, you shouldn't. That's not what, I didn't just park. I couldn't fit in that parking spot. So I took up two. But part of me, the part that was in the small compact, identified as a small compact vehicle. Luigi's identified as a handicapped, and he didn't get by with that one. And, um, but his was accidental. Why don't we... Establish our diet that reflects God. 
But there's something even greater than that. Daniel put his welfare and even his life in jeopardy by refusing to violate the dietary stipulations of the ceremonial law and he jeopardized his life. Listen, over an application he made from a principle in the book of Proverbs. He jeopardized his life over Why? Well, look at verse 11. Then said Daniel to, to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel. Verse 12, prove thy servants, I beseech thee ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon. Do you know why Daniel risked his life for making an application? Someone could have said, Daniel, you know, there's no rule in, in, in our constitution that says we can't drink this. But Daniel says, but I know, but, but Solomon, he talked about this. And I just think we ought to, we, we want to be wise. And I think, don't you think that God would be pleased with us? And, and if we're going to be wise, we've got to draw a line. And we're going to draw a line. How, how did he risk his life to, over an application of a Bible principle it's because he had confidence in God. That's what he's saying. He said, you give us pulse, you give us that, that pulse and water to drink. We'll make our own protein smoothie. And uh, you, you give us 10 days and you wait and see if God doesn't come through. His confidence wasn't in his special recipe. His confidence was in God. See, too many are losing. Too many are overwhelmed in their Christian life because they're focusing on their diet. I can't do this. I can't do that. Many are defeated because they're dominated with all of the what's and the how's. It made no human sense for Daniel to say, feed us vegetables, give us water for 10 days, but give them the muscle food and then compare us at the end. See, it's not the diet that made the difference. It's the divine. See, Daniel said no to King Nebuchadnezzar's plan because he said yes to King Jehovah's plan. It's not the diet. It's the divine that made the difference. Now, Daniel's rules concerning his diet are not what made Daniel great. To Daniel, this was far more than just a diet it was about the divine. Let me say, we're going to emphasize this at the new year. We try to every year with our Christ Walk Journal. But that's why we need fresh encounters with God. You see, the deepest need of your human heart is to encounter God. I've met too many young people over the years who've grown up in Christian homes, gone to Christian schools. They don't have any relationship with God at all. Oh, they may know some Bible facts and that very little. But there's no encounter with the living God of the Bible. The truth is every one of us in this room faces needs, physical, emotional, social. But the greatest needs that we have, the greatest will always be spiritual needs. And they can only be met by God himself. Only God can satisfy these desires. And only God does it on his terms. 
in addition to good, sound information about God in Scripture, everybody needs fresh encounters with God. Hey, that's what I need. Not because I'm a preacher. That's what I need because I'm a Christian. I need an encounter with the living God who is a person and wants to interact with you just as you do with other people. We need to move from a Bible doctrine, a Bible principle, and just having a diet of Bible, Bible truths and move to a diet of applications that will help us know and experience the reality of God. Like in Bible times, being in the presence of the living God, it's an awesome thing. To stand before him is to stand before the one who created the universe with only the sound of his voice. Meeting with God is life changing. Everyday everyday encounters. That's part of his plan. No one can leave the presence of God and remain the same. Here's what happens to too many. They get hung up on the diet. What I can't do what I have to do, and they fail to encounter God. This is vital. I'm telling you, Canaan, it's vital. If we desire to be a Daniel, we must desperately understand this. We live surrounded by values, standards, and viewpoints every day of our life that is contrary to the Word of God, and they'll leave us disoriented to a holy God. However, every time we open God's word, we have an opportunity to experience and have a dramatic encounter with the living God that will shake us and change us and change our thinking. This is why we need fresh encounters with God. And this is why we must seek encounters. That's why we have a Saturday night prayer meeting. That's why we have a men's Sunday morning prayer meeting. We must approach God's word with hearts that are willing to obey whatever God says before he ever even says it. When we reverently and expectantly approach the scriptures, God is ready to speak life, transforming words to us, and we will never be the same again. Now, stay with me. To Daniel, the rules... Concerning his diet, it was never greater than his relationship with the divine. But in order to have a relationship with the divine, he had to have rules in his diet. But you see, Daniel did not start with the prohibition, what I can't do. He started with the person of God. Are you with me still? Daniel knew that all of God's knows. It begins with a yes. Remember what were the two great commandments? Jesus said the two great commandments were love, not hate. Remember what? John says, God says in 1 John 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for loving the world is just too fun. Is that what he said? No, God tells us rather, don't love the world because there's something far greater than loving the world. He says, it's loving the Father. 
He says no to the world because God says there's a greater yes that he does not want us to miss. In the beginning, God created an incredible environment in the garden. Enjoyment beyond comprehension. But they're encountering, Adam and Eve, encountering God also required the need to purpose in their heart that they too would not defile themselves. Yet they only had one rule, one prohibition in their diet. You see, God with Adam and Eve, God in the beginning was all about the yes. And in this case, the yes was being able to walk with God in the Garden of Eden in unending fellowship. But God also knew, God also understood then, as He does now, the threat to the greater yes. So He proclaimed a no that would protect the yes. By the way, who in the garden focused on the rule or the prohibition or the no or the diet? It was not God. It was Satan that convinced man. God wanted their focus to be on what? The divine. On Him. But in order for Adam and Eve to enjoy their relationship with God, there had to be a prohibition. There had to be a rule. There had to be a standard to protect something far greater than a no. What were they protecting? What was God protecting? He was protecting the greater yes. Their relationship with Him. See, Daniel desired to serve God. Daniel knew that he could not have God's real relationship without being serious about making applications, purposing to exercise the no. Listen, don't minimize the diet. Don't be like Adam and Eve and minimize the one prohibition. Don't minimize what God is trying to do to protect. Somebody says this, I don't see what's wrong with going to the movies. Truth is, I don't see what's wrong with not going to the movies. Let me ask you, how is it going to hurt your Christian life and witness to not go to the movies? And now I know that I can preach to a bunch of preachers and many of them won't even agree. But I'm not preaching for whether they agree. I'm preaching for the greater yes. I'm asking a question no one has been able to answer. How does it hurt your Christian life and witness to not go? How does it make you a worse Christian to not go to the movies? I've never yet heard a person say, I think I'd be closer to God if only I could go to the movies. But here's the reality. We can become known for the prohibitions. We can become known for the prohibitions, not because of how many we have. Remember in the garden there was how many? One. Yet it became the focal point, did it not? We can become known for the prohibition, not because of the number, but because we're not emphasizing what's more important. The relationship. See, while Eve is making all these logical sounding statements, the Bible is clear that her husband was right there. Eve was deceived because Adam did not lead. 
Eve was deceived because Adam did not lead. And Adam could have helped her understand. Yes, you're making some good points. But this is ultimately about God. And God has said no. See, we need to understand why the rules and restrictions are there. We need to understand why. I've talked to many a person who say, I grew up in, in a home and we couldn't do this, but I never knew why. I think understanding why is very helpful. I think it's helpful to understand what will be lost without having them. It sometimes helps to look at what that fence is protecting before you remove the fence. What was God's prohibition in the garden trying to protect? I've sat many a time and said, why would God say no on this? Why, why would he even do that? Well, he's God, we're not. He said, don't. So ultimately, just trust and obey, and life would be happy. What is Daniel's diet trying to protect? I believe all of us here, I really do believe all of us here really desire to have a real relationship with the Lord. But still sometimes we may want it too cheaply that we don't maintain that relationship because we're not willing to accept the necessary restrictions, rules, diet, standards, and application that should come with it. But listen, here's the point too with that. The more valuable you see your walk with God and pleasing Him at all costs, the more vital your diet becomes. When people are willing to have this, I can watch whatever, I can go wherever I want, I can do what, I can say whatever, I can dress whatever, I can do whatever. If you're a Christian, all that tells me is you're not convinced of your relationship with God. You don't think God is worth protecting and your relationship with Him is worth protecting. You've been focusing only on what you cannot do and trying to get away from what you cannot do. You're focusing on the no and you're the one that's not focusing on the greater yes. Daniel could have, a, listen, he could have a strict diet without a deep relationship with the Lord. But he could not have a deep relationship with the Lord without having some particulars in his diet. In other words, you can have some rules and standards without a deep relationship with the Lord, but you will not and cannot maintain a real relationship without the rules and without the standards. Have you ever wondered why our standards seem to be so different? You ever wonder that? Why does this church seem to have these standards and these people claim to be Christian have these standards and these standards? Why is it that some standards, our standards seem to be different? Why did some of God's people opt out of Daniel's diet? And they did. Why did most of God's people bow in chapter number three of Daniel? And for years I was perplexed by that. But here's what I'm convinced of. The yes explains the difference in the no's among God's people. Christians who don't have the same yes, they're likely not to have the same no. One reason is because they don't all have the same yes in mind. 
They don't care whether they have fresh encounters with God on a daily basis. They're not really concerned that they surrendered to God lock, stock, and barrel. They're just glad that they're not living like half the other world and half the family who has compromised and they feel pretty good about it. They're not. They don't have the same yes, so they don't require the same no's. We strive to make sure that we assemble as a church, not as a crowd. And as a church, God deserves timeless, not trendy. A young person here at Canaan Baptist Church that has a passion to have a godly life in ministry, you have a valuable yes. And you're likely to end up with different no's than a young person who's content in just being good. A young man or a young lady with a passion to find God's future mate for their life, the right one, the right time, the right way, they have a very valuable yes to protect. And they're likely going to end up with a different set of no's. So don't be thrown by those who might not understand Daniel's diet in your life. I'm not on the defensive with those who criticize me for my deliberate purposing in my heart and my needful prohibitions. In fact, in Daniel chapter 1, you find those who didn't know the divine, they were reluctant to help Daniel with his diet. Don't be shocked when people are not gung-ho about your diet. Don't be thrown when they're not understanding of the greater yes. The no's in my diet are different than those who might criticize me because my yes concerning the divine is also different. It's important that we teach our children to handle criticism from those who have fewer no's. By explaining to them in clear detail, it's the yes that drives the no's. Are you getting that? See, we, we allow our kids to be pressured and, and you may allow your family to be pressured when someone says, look at what they can't do. Look at, man, so you, you, you're going to live a boring life if you can't do this. And all we're focusing on is what we can't do when we ought to be focusing on what is your main yes? What is it you're trying to protect? You're not trying to protect anything. I'm trying to protect something. I'm trying to protect my walk with God. I'm trying to protect the integrity of my family. I'm trying to protect the, the purity of my heart. There's a lot that is at stake. And the truth is we're more inclined to keep the rules once we understand the greater yes of our relationship with the Lord. Sometimes Christie's been asked, why there's been such a strict standard in her life. And sometimes just out of, she could explain some things in very specific detail, but she said, sometimes it's just, I love Jesus. And I'm trying to protect that. You know, we were coming back from Luigi's, uh, Miss Lisa Redmond's service, the internment service in Alabama. And, heading back so we could be back here for OPSAD and, 
and we stopped off on, on the way back and stopped to get something to eat there. Stopped at Auburn is where we stopped and got something to eat and we just walked right around the corner to this place where we were eating. And when we were coming back to our vehicle, a lady said, may I ask you what church y'all go to? And I told her, and, you, know, you don't have to have a Bible college degree to figure out what the ladies in my family might have been wearing or not wearing. I've heard parents and I've heard pastors talk about losing their children. We have too many rules, we're going to lose them. I want to tell you this, I've gone through the Bible again and again and I don't see any place in the Bible where kids are lost because of too many prohibitions, rules, or too strict a diet. I don't know that I've ever seen anyone leave over too many rules, too strict a rules, or too strict a diet. They don't leave because of the no's. They leave because they were never convinced in the home or the church that there was actually a greater yes. It's not the diet. It's the divine. It's hard as a pastor and a parent to study and explain the yes in an attractive way. There's no doubt. But it pays dividends by grounding members of our church as well as your children in the value of what the no is protecting in the first place. Listen, parents, being permissive, being passive, that's not the answer. Giving them what they want, giving it because they want it. Remember Dr. Hardy, Dave Hardy, who was here back at one of our missions conferences, he had said, he sent me an article and said, uh, Ingram, he said, make sure you want, you want your kids to be healthy, don't you? And I said, yes. He said, make sure you give them plenty of vitamin N. I said, Christy, Dr. Hardy said, vitamin N, that's your, that's your department, look it up. Something like uh, turmeric, Brother Baker, and, and I just assumed that's what it was. Well, come to find out, vitamin N, it simply meant no. Start telling your kids no and enforce it when they violate it. You want them to be a Daniel, don't you? Then you've got to help them see this is about protecting what is even greater than the no. And that is there is a greater yes. Daniel had a testimony. You know what Daniel's testimony was? He outlived Nebuchadnezzar. It was a life of joy and confidence. Listen, being biblically conservative is anything but boring. The truth is it's a blast and it gets funner and funner living for God. But when you're focusing on the nose, why that does get depressing. I don't see anybody, I, I've yet to see anybody at a wedding say, now run through it again, preacher, what I can't do. They don't, they don't talk about that there. They may talk about it later, but that's not the mindset because they think there's a greater yes to all this. And so, yeah, they'll sign the dotted line. Yes, they'll say, I, I will, I do. And they're all in because there's a greater yes. 
And when God's people get saved, they ought to be getting saved to something that's more than something. It's someone. And the remainder of their life is learning he's always worth it. He's always worth it. He's always worth it. Listen to Titus 2, 11 through 15. I'm winding this down. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Doesn't sound like fuddy-duddy life to me. It says the grace of God that enables amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It enables. Amen. Listen, you say, well, my kids, they walked away. My kids, they did this. It would help you. It would help you to understand. They didn't walk away because of a rule. They walked away because you didn't convince them. They were not convinced. They didn't get it somewhere. They were not convinced of a greater yes. Never heard anyone who was saved. Never have I heard anyone who was saved ever say, I regret giving my life to Jesus. I have never heard it. Knowing him, that's the greater yes, as a way of producing joy. It has limitations and restrictions. Well, anything good will. We enjoy watching dedicated athletes making multi-millions who have more rules and restrictions than many of us will ever know. The spirit in your home, the spirit in our church, the spirit in our youth group, it likely will give away whether or not you're about the no or you're about the yes. I'm going to work to preach the divine in the pulpit. I have to explain the importance of having a restrictive diet. But we've got to teach the preeminence of the divine at home. Describe what the diet looks like. As the world calls for change... God, who has been meeting with our young people along the way, trust that they will have the, the sense, the discernment to see there's a greater yes than the pull of this world. The church suffers because of people living like chameleons when God is looking to make champions. Would you stand with me, please?